This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 7th of January 2020. And here is my Happy New Year co-host, Jon. Happy, Happy New Year, Year Jon. to everybody. Don't be so isolating. Wish everybody Happy New Year. Be nice. Start good intentions, you know. <laughs> <sighs> really? Really, everybody? I mean, what if, what if I don't like some of the people? That doesn't matter. It's a time of forgiveness and cheer and good feelings and everything. I mean, we've got snow outside. Well, virtually snow then. We've got uh, <laughs> Yule log burning, but that's not uh, CO2 reasonable, okay-ish, so we can't do that anymore. So we have a virtual Yule log burning. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, you're that right. Yule log is consuming electricity, so that's, that's down as well. No, it's a static anyway. picture on a printed paper, which is coming from a tree. No. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, everything is bad. Anyway, gone. apart from that, <laughs> apart from that, here we are again, another looking year. backwards. Yeah, another year gone. Uh, looking at a quick year in review. Um, a few of the things that have caught our eyes or ears or I guess noses maybe um, throughout the year. And uh, a quick sort of recap on some of the things that have there's been happening at a variety of different times and in some way, shape or form, maybe foreshadow uh, the way that the future will play out. So I guess we will see. Yes, I guess we will. Now we didn't, at least I didn't go and look up uh, other, I don't know, newspapers and magazines, reviews, articles. So I hope we have some stuff here that nobody else has found. We'll find out afterwards, I guess. Indeed, indeed. One of the benefits of, of not following uh, too many other things like this is uh, our our coverage tends to be relatively untainted, untainted by that. But let's see. So I guess first up, um, we both changed jobs. Yeah, let's first and start we, some introspection here. Yeah, and we also changed. I mean, okay, so here's an interesting question. We changed the sort of direction of the podcast from, you know, more specifically around data to more broadly around tech, but that didn't actually like perfectly align with our change of jobs. So my question to you is, do you think we would have made the change of podcast direction even if we had not changed jobs? Well, I actually think uh, neither has caused the other uh, because mm. uh, for me, I went a different way. I mean, I used to work at Hortonworks and I went to Microsoft for full cloud stuff, now I'm at Elastic, again in the data environment, still doing some, I think, high tech stuff. And mm. that's just how my life went. And uh the way that I look at my career, and if you listen to the, I think, excellent podcast episodes did with Rodolf on remote working, we also touched a bit mm. on how our careers ran. I always try to work at stuff uh, on stuff that I don't know yet, so I can learn new stuff, and mm-hmm. that's why I move on. So I moved on from my day job in big data to more generic things because that's where my interest became, uh, became went to, and mm-hmm. the podcast kind of followed suit. So it's just the same my interests change and so the things i do change was it yeah. different for you no I, no i think it, it's i think that's pretty spot on i think we we were both in a space initially when we started this podcast where there was we were just trying to absorb so much 
information and so much sort of new that was going on at the time that it it made sense for us to focus this in that area but and then as those as the areas we were focusing in sort of continued to diversify you know i I went and had a, a fairly significant significant dalliance within uh, cybersecurity, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and you know, I think the I think you're right. They're sort of as our interest changes or uh, changed the uh, the podcast. Sort of, it made sense to to have that follow. So. Because again, we do this podcast to mainly educate ourselves. Because <laughs> for me, mm-hmm. it's a reason to to look up new things and find out why something works or doesn't work, whatever. And by them having our own interests. I mean, I think our interests do kind of reflect what's happening in the world today. I mean, we're kind of moving along with the new stuff. We're not talking about mainframe mainframes too often in this podcast. Uh, maybe that'll change if mainframes become hot, hot topics again, but I don't think so. Cockroaches uh, and mainframes, <laughs> they will outlast us all. True, true, that and bureaucracy. Uh, but it also helps uh, the podcast, I think, remain, um, how do you call that, uh, relevant as well. Because if they, yeah. our interests move with the times, uh, the podcast subject will also move with the time. And hopefully that means yeah. you'll remain having a good audience uh, for the rest of uh, yeah, our lives, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Because, again, our listening numbers are growing steadily still. Apparently, yep. people are still enjoying what we're doing. And again, all feedback, please send it to us. We do like getting feedback as much as possible. And we do to, we do actually do something with that feedback. It's not a, <laughs> a black pocket where it drops and never sees uh, sees light of day. Again, we do actually take those things into account when we look for new subjects or new topics or ways of handling topics. I mean, one thing you can I think you can feel is that in our news episodes, we are no longer focusing specifically on the article itself but more about the thing around the article why the article was written and what's what's around the context around that so that was actually yep. something i uh, i got from uh, feedback so please mm-hmm. send them in indeed keep doing that also reviews give us itunes reviews i just had a look today on itunes reviews i mean it's a yearly thing every year we kind of look at how have we done this year <laughs> and our itunes reviews are a bit old so if you have a spare minute and you're still on itunes Go and put us a, a review there. Or even better, we'll be talking about this later in the episode. Uh, we're on Spotify too. Been there for over a year yep. now. And all our listeners, are, are, how do you call them? What are they called there? Listener listeners. base? They're, they're the subscribers, followers? I think. Followers. That's followers. followers. Are also steadily growing there. So we have a nice number. So we should get some reviews there too. So... You can sponsor the show. Let's do this. Why not? Uh, on a multiple ways. You can give us money. You can go to the merch store. Or you can just give <laughs> us a good review somewhere and spread the word. That's also much appreciated and perhaps even more so because I think neither you nor me are doing this to get rich. Indeed. Indeed. So that, you you touched very, very lightly on the uh, on the, the merch there. And there is, uh, although we've done the, the logo change, um, there is still a, a chance to get some uh, bite-sized big data merch left on the uh, the merch store before we make our, our final change, which will probably be later on in uh, first half of this year for sure, when we kind of update our uh, our merch. So yeah. if you're looking for bite-sized big data merch, get it now before it becomes uh, unavailable. Yeah, they're all collector's items now because uh, not all sizes are available <laughs> anymore. So get them while they're last. I mean, we don't. 
that sell that much merch. But again, it's one way of sponsoring our show and giving us a little bit uh, yeah. extra oomph to go on uh, with this uh, podcast. And at a certain yeah. point, uh, we need to reorder them with the new logos, of course, and uh, then the big data ones will go away. So if you want to prove to the world that you were a fan on the, f- the early days when we were still fledgling OG. podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, All right, yeah. so let's let's move on to the uh, the bulk of the episode, really, which is a variety of things that that came up through last year that really, in some way, shape, or form, seem to signal a, a substantial change in in the ecosystem. And I I think the I don't know whether this is actually the largest, or I don't think it is the largest, but I think it's the largest one, probably to us personally. Um, which is the whole kind of evolution of MAPAR, Hortonworks, Cloudera, um, you know, that that whole environment ecosystem has just changed forever. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think we'll see something like a Hortonworks or like a Cloudera or like a MAPAR appear ever again. I I think the um we only have Cloudera now, following the uh, the merger of uh, Cloudera and Hortonworks, and you know, with Mapar essentially disintegrated and the the pieces sold off, uh, or the remaining kind mm-hmm. of pieces sold off. I, I I can't see a world where another sort of all encompassing big data platform organization will spring into existence. I mean. Agree? Disagree? No, I fully agree. I mean, specifically if you're talking about big data environments, um, it was a thing of a, of a time, and they were necessary when they appeared, and they evolved, matured, and no longer became required uh, to, to have this working. I mean, the reason that the Hortmers and Cloudera, I, I, we know less about my part because they, those were a little more fringe for me, but uh, Hortmers mm-hmm. and Cloudera we know very well, of course, and they were there to simply make all of this great new very complicated technology usable to have some yep. kind of a stable platform where you can deploy this stuff and actually do something with it was it perfect no nothing is but it was a way of making it consumable and at the moment if you're looking at big ecosystems of technologies of components um there isn't that 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 necessity anymore to make platforms out of these things because each of those i'm not talking specifically specifically about the big data things anymore but more in general Mm. all these open source projects they all have good communities and have their own way of working and integrating there isn't less of a need perhaps have something pre-chewed for you uh, the ones mm-hmm. that are still available or still required are, I think, uh, Linux. There will always be Linux distributions because nobody, I mean, Gentoo is great. I've done Gentoo for a long time and then I gave up because I just didn't have the time for it anymore. That's still a complex uh, thing. Everything else than that, the whole movement towards making all of these projects, these technologies consumable to the masses is at a point where you don't really need any kind of, um, yeah, platformization of projects or something like that does that make sense possibly possibly i mean i guess one of the questions is do you do you think that the the sort of the, these uh, these 
kind of these organizations used to exist in a world that was I think it's fair to say more focused around on-prem and the way that everything has evolved is towards cloud. Now, that's not to say that there aren't still very significant sized on-prem quote-unquote big data deployments that there absolutely are, but everybody has their eye on the prize in the cloud. So the, and the way that the cloud ecosystem has evolved is the cloud provider becomes that underlying platform, quote-unquote, in some way, shape, or form. And you can choose your best-of-breed individual component for each and every different kind of piece of functionality, whether it's a you know, a SQL, whether it's a, an object store, whether it's um, you know, a, a data transformation or data movement engine, uh, and those, the sort of, the the whole idea of having something that, you know, a single organization put together and curated versus something where a cloud provider does maybe 80% of the work and then, you know, you as a consumer have to do the remaining 20. Maybe 80-20 isn't right, but I don't know. Does that, do, you, do you think that's kind of respe- um, reflective of where we are now? Uh, I think you're totally right, except <laughs> I'm going to agree with you fully. Because then that would be a very, very short podcast. Yeah, that, um, that would be. Yeah, when I was talking, sense. when I was talking before, I was also having this cloud idea in my in my head, but I didn't talk about it because, in my opinion, when you said the eighty percent, how much is the cloud provider actually doing? Because when I was talking, I was thinking more that mm-hmm. the projects themselves have made it so that their projects and if you're talking and i mean if you're in the big data sphere we're talking about things like hive and well yarn is pretty much dead now but things like that or um uh, give me something whatever open source projects are out there don't want to give any favoritisms mm. out there uh yeah. but a lot of these, these maintainers have made the project so easy to use and integratable with other things that it becomes possible for a cloud provider like an amazon and azure and google and all the small ones out there to just take these things and with quote unquote minimal effort make something that's consumable but i do think that a lot of that is still being done by those uh, project maintainers software maintainers and the because if i look i mean i've been at the inside of the cloud world for a couple of years it's yeah. a mess <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know yeah. we go to these conferences and we have people putting up nice architecture diagrams of all these things working together and stuff like that. But the glue code you have to write in between those things is massive. Yeah. And that has yeah. been reduced. Uh, I was going to say slightly, but it's more than slightly. It's been, I'm not going to say significantly because it's still a lot of effort, but it has reduced a lot. <laughs> Somewhere in between. <laughs> it has reduced yeah. to a point where it becomes feasible for like yeah. cloud providers to make these things more as a platform offering and then that's where i'm agreeing with you the gelling of those two layers together from the bottom the software developers making it easy to integrate and on the top the cloud environments having the the footprint let's say to make this viable on a large scale those have i think now reached a point of consensus where it actually becomes yeah pretty normal business let's say to have it work that way yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I I still think that there's probably there's probably still a lot more I mean, I love the 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 
the uh, the phrase glue code because it covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> but I, I think there's probably still significantly more of that oh, yeah. required for any any sensible kind of size production system than than probably the cloud providers initially let on. It kind of depends on what level of uh, software you're using. I mean, if you're playing with VMs and doing things like, uh, I know, continuous integration, continuous deployment, that mm. is stuff that was horrible a year ago and is feasible today. If you're doing yeah. stuff on Kubernetes today, oh, you're going to enjoy your glue code. Yeah. That's going to be yeah. great for you because that's still a project that's, I'm going to say relatively immature, because if you look at the amount of updates when a new version comes out, it's very fast. And things like persistent storage in Kubernetes are still something that is uh, supported by none of the cloud providers unless you go into their experimental beta environments. And when you say experimental beta, that means your glue code becomes your most important thing, I think. (laughs) You're certainly our most flexible and fluid thing as betas evolve. (laughs) Yeah, you need to redo it every time so you can't make anything work. You you can't really put long-term stuff in there. You have to all do it. Every time it changes, you have to change again, follow the, 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 the flow, let's say. So yeah, yeah but yeah. and I don't know how would you say that today the cloud adoption is? Um, I mean, if you if you had a discussion like I don't know one year, two years ago, uh, we would say that people on the cloud are at the front of all of the evolutionary technology evolutions, new things coming up. Today, I guess most people on the cloud are just on the cloud because that's where it happens to run and that what works for them, not because they want to do the we need GPU cores, so we have to go to the cloud reasoning. Um, yeah, I, I would I would say that's probably pretty fair. I think the the majority of organizations have a significant footprint in cloud and therefore you know f- for for them to continue to deploy services you know why why would you go anywhere else um uh, yeah but not not just why go anywhere else it's usually only available there anymore because new things new packaged things you can still buy software off the of the of the shelf but uh let's one of the software packages i've been spending way too much money on buying it every <laughs> single time was photoshop the whole adobe mm-hmm. thing today you cannot buy the adobe stuff on disk anymore it's the creative cloud. It's a cloud subscription. Yeah. So, and then that's valid for a lot of things. When a new company starts now, your your, your bookkeeping software, it's in the cloud. Your uh, Office uh, suite, it's going to be in the cloud. It's going to be Google or Office 365 or whatever you're using. I mean, I still like OpenOffice and LibreOffice, but <laughs> I'm a holdout, I guess. Yeah. But it's just yeah. the mindset for people starting a new business today Cloud is no longer that thing that, oh, we need to be very hip and new and the web 2.0, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever that was yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So we have to go to the cloud. No, it's, yeah, we're in the cloud and some stuff it doesn't work there. It needs to be there. by default. Yeah, and yeah. some stuff doesn't work there. So that we still have a rented server somewhere or whatever. But yep. uh, the, it's no longer the, the new and uh, the new and happy, hip, uh, free thinking spirits that go to cloud it's normal to go to cloud and that also means that a lot of the consumption on cloud is done based on mature products that have been around for a while now and do not require that much glue code if you're in that high level innovative space your glue code will become important yeah anyway enough about glue code (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. Moving on, moving on. So I think it's I think it's fair to say, while there were definitely rumblings of of this next uh issue uh last year and have been for some time, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you uh, you know wanted to start a discussion with Richard Stallman. But I think it's fair to say that uh, open source software licensing, this has been the year where we've seen a, a dramatic shift in um, in the way that open source licensing is is viewed, is considered, perceived. Um, perceived um, in the way that it's being, you know, certainly looked at by the cloud providers, um, it, this whole—I mean, the whole ecosystem around open source software licensing—I think has changed forever. And I think the the golden age of of open source software, as we knew it, is is probably over. And where we where we go from here, I think is going to be very, very different. And I, we, you know, we're starting to see kind of brand new sort of slightly strange alien, I don't know, but different open source licenses, you know, going back only a, a couple of years, there were basically you know, you could go, you could go um, BSD, you could go uh, GNU, you you know, there were a, a hand, you could go Apache, there were a handful of very well-established open source software licenses. And now there's a proliferation of like new and ever so slightly different um, licenses out there to try and, in many cases, combat the um, uh, predatory <laughs> tactics that uh, certain cloud providers have uh, have been have been pushing forward. Um, I, I, I say I, I don't I don't know where this is going. I really don't. I, I think this is one area where we will see and continue to see significant change through the next year. But I mean, does that meet your your expectations and thoughts around this? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the proliferation of uh, licenses, as you said, you had a handful. Now pretty much every project has their own license. That's basically how you yep. look at it. And uh, you can definitely blame cloud on this. I mean, we just talked about cloud a lot already in a positive vibe, and now maybe in a bit of a negative vibe. The whole product as a service thing has a devastating effect on small indie open source developer environments, uh, teams Mm -hmm. that try to get some monetization offered by offering support or a hosted service or their product that they've been making. Because again, what we talked about, the ease of use and ease of integration, the cloud providers need to do very little to make a hosted environment of that thing. And even when they do, they quite often do it uh, in a very bad way. (coughs) Amazon. (coughs) But um, (laughs) it's definitely something that's going to change things forever. I mean, we've always had the discussion about free speech versus free beer. And that was a kind of fun pub discussion to have because in the end, we all did what we did and everybody was kind of happy. A lot of people were on the fringe of doing maybe not the best open source mindset and just uh, taking advantage of it. But it was just a part of it. Well, now it becomes of a size and a footprint that the open source community needs to do something. And I think 2019 will be remembered uh, as the year where the... Uh, not the revolution started. I think that's going to be next mm. year, the year after. But where at least the uh, okay, this is no, there's no way of saying this without insulting any everybody or anybody. So uh, sorry about this. But 
Um, whenever a, 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 a people is suppressed, there's a point where they become aware of that suppression. Where they become mm. aware of, hey, hang on, this isn't normal. Even whatever, even though my parents and my 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 my, my ancients in the village told us that this is the way it is, hang on, this is not normal anymore. This is not how it can continue. And I think this is the year where that that the 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 revelation, the 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 understanding of, hang on, this is not sustainable. Something needs to happen. That's 2019, and in 2020, 2021, we're going to see how this is going to evolve, and it can really go either of two ways be a step in the right direction where we finally get over this free beer versus free speech uh, thing but having a good understanding and licensing concept of making this all go away or it's going to go horribly wrong and open source will cease to exist uh, in its entirety and everything in between as we know it (laughs) Mm. yeah yeah i uh, unfortunately and and very scarily for me, I, I completely agree. I yep. sort of, uh, it's, happy it's it, yeah, it will be a, it will be a very interesting, uh, interesting year this year. And we will see, we'll see how things progress. Well, we've seen a, a couple of groupings have already started. We had had a first mm-hmm. uh, conference, I forget the name, but we covered it in one of our news episodes. So if you haven't heard that one yet, please, uh, dear listeners, you can go back in our history. Uh, but there's a first conference going on where they actually talked about this. They didn't come to any kind of conclusion. But again, people are starting to talk about this and they need to get to some res- results there. Because, uh, I mean, actually, just thinking about it now, another thing that was reasons for a Hortonworks and a Cloudera and a MapR to be there was also because in those days, open source was still seen as strange, alien and maybe even untrustworthy. And that's no longer the case. Everybody's using it. We don't need a company to tell us anymore that open source is something that, as long as you do due diligence, is something that can be used in your production environments and is just as safe or even less or more or less, whatever. There will always be pluses and minuses, but it's just part of your uh, production environment now. And if open source, we need to have some kind of certainty in there. I mean, we can't have it the way it is today. It needs to get settled in some way, shape or fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Well, again, this is another one of those uh, watch and wait, I think. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's a huge amount of, you know, legal rumblings and, and, you know, community rumblings and all sorts of other things going on. So, Yeah. 2020 will be, I think, a standout year where where something something breaks, and uh, it's just a question of seeing in which direction it breaks. Are we doing the, Are we doing the predictions inside our uh, review of the year? Are we going to keep it for the end and still have a little? I think we're going to try and keep them for the end, even though some might sneak in. Um, so. Any anything else on on that side of things? No, as you said, it's going to be interesting, and I'm looking forward to it uh, evolving. And uh, everybody out there, please think positive thoughts. Yep, absolutely. All right. Speaking of uh, thinking positive thoughts, uh, Jedi. <laughs> no, not not the Force, um, but the Jedi it's Cloud Star Wars contract season. for the be Pentagon. Careful. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was a. I mean, on the one hand, I cannot really decide on whether this is as much... 
as much of a landmark as it seems to be. And let, let me clarify mm-hmm. yeah, sure. why, why I think that. So first of all, obviously a $10 billion contract or you know, plus, plus is a massive uh, chunk of uh, cloud budget. But what I can't decide on is whether this is a, a power play that is purely driven by relationships and, um, and you know, dislikes on one side and or the other mm-hmm. versus an actual real technical choice. Um, so I basically, I, I think it's a, I think it's very interesting, but I still don't know whether this is actually, um, you know, is, is this validation for Azure um, or is this just a, a another example of, um, I don't want to say business done on the golf course because I, I don't think I don't think a ten billion dollar deal like this just gets done on on one particular golf course. It's probably many golf courses. But well, Trump has a couple. Right? I, I, yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how material this actually is for the shape of the in, the shape and the direction of the industry, or whether this is just a um, like a weird anomaly. Um, in the sort of the overall direction of things, well, it's definitely anomaly today because it's uh, some people talk about it, so it must be anomalous. But I don't think it takes away from the importance of it because I do think this is a significant change. Um, billion dollar deals deals are always decided on the golf course. That's basically how it works. If you have that amount of money, it's no longer about technology at all. It's about feeling good about a certain party or having other pros coming your way and that's why for me this is important because two years ago this would never be news because azure didn't exist it was there yes it was there it was a product it was out there but for these kind of things if you're doing a 10 billion it's a 10 billion dollar deal looking over the next 10 years of cloud budgeting so they're not looking mm. at all at what is there today. Well, yes, they are looking at what's there today, but they're more looking at, okay, how do we expect these things to evolve between now and 2030? The, re- the, the, the fact that Azure won this deal, and yes, Amazon is still uh, doing litigation to get it reversed and whatever, we'll see what happens there, and we'll, we're not going to predict anything there because, again, golf courses are, uh, are deciding here. But the fact that Azure won this means that a entity like the Pentagon, so the, the American military, sees enough sustenance, uh, uh, how do you call that, Sub- uh, substance uh, mass in Azure, that they actually yep. believe that in 10 years' time, they will still be not only relevant, but in the the leading pack of cloud in the world, uh, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. And that, a year ago even, would not have been the case. So the whole idea of Azure moving up in the world of cloud at this pace, for me, is a good thing, not because I like Microsoft that much, I mean... They were a good employer. I liked them. I was there for three years. I enjoyed my time there. I have nothing against Microsoft at all. But it's just that there's competition again. 
And this competition, yeah. this competition is always good. And up until now, I mean, Google is still very small compared to the Amazon. It's, uh, I mean, uh, I did a graph a couple of months ago where I kind of saw that if you have Amazon 100%, Azure is like a bit over 50%, and Google's again a bit over 50% of Azure. So they're really mm. different strides there. Google, I don't, uh, Google never even bid on this thing because they couldn't. They don't have yeah. a government cloud, basically. Yes, they say it's yeah. because they have altruistic things and don't be evil and blah, blah. No, they don't have a golf cloud, so they didn't have certifications they put, had to put forward to be able to bid. That's still how, so, how small they are. If you look at Azure, mm-hmm. they've grown so fast, so quickly, that they become serious competition for AWS. And that's a good thing. Not just for things like this, but also, harking back to the previous topic, open source. At the moment, yeah. Amazon, well, if you have a, a, a open source project and you want to have it uh, consumed by the masses to get your uh, as-a-service hosted uh, revenue in as small uh, team um, that you are for the open source project, you kind of have to be on Amazon because that's where everybody is. Well, I think this is a landmark shift because between now and 12 months, I think it'll be pretty much irrelevant if you're on AWS or Azure because they will be both have this, the same amount of traction or even attraction to the consuming public. So again, the competition will heat up between the two and hopefully Google also uh, keeps on rising and we have a nice three-party um, three party competition going on because yeah, duopolis are not competition. So more is better. Uh, but yeah, so for me, it's it's definitely anomalous that this happened because nobody expected it. I mean, we actually had a news episode where we had a, a, an article that was published a day before the, the decision fell that said, Amazon is now the new weapon dealer. Oh, crap. No, they didn't win. <laughs> so nobody expected this to go this way. <laughs> and I do think it means, it really means something for the future of cloud. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's... It's just one of these areas that I I don't know. I, I think we will see a shift. And again, I'm slipping into predictions, but <laughs> it, it I think we will see a a shift of um, the the way that Azure and AWS are perceived next year, and whether whether it's this uh, whether the, the Jedi Cloud contract will be this is the start of that or not I don't know but I it just it just feels like there's there's something where Azure has previously been very much the the underdog mm-hmm. in almost every single discussion that you might have um I that I, I'm not sure that that will be the case going forward but yeah. uh, I don't know we'll see yep no I think anyway it's going to change a lot yeah so switching gears um well not really <laughs> well a, well a little bit um this this next uh, thing that has finally well finally arrived is is possibly a little bit uh, premature well, they're trying it but, again <laughs> uh, yes yeah i mean this is i'm trying to remember what the initial there was a um, there was a game streaming service a couple of years ago that, that arrived on the scene with great pomp and circumstance and flopped. Well, they got bought within, by Sony in the end, I think. Um, oh, I was possibly. 
anyway, the the, the sort of the, the topic of, of choice here was the fact that uh, both State uh, Stadia from Google and XCloud um, Sony on Azure. Okay, okay. Was it? In that case, there was another one as well. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, so game streaming is finally here-ish, maybe, maybe again. I don't know. Um, I mean, the, this you were talking earlier about software that people just, you know, buy uh, and have bought for, for years and years and it's becoming less of a thing and more things are available as services. And, you know, the, the, do you think the... Uh, the idea of a, a Steam library is is going to sort of evaporate away in the future. Will will people just have a a subscription service that allows them to consume you know so many video games a month, and you can pay additional services? You know, mm-hmm. Netflix for video gaming essentially. I, I mean, that feels like the way that the industry could start to go. Well, I put this on the list with a uh, ulterior motive, which I'm going to get to in, in a moment. Uh, just want to react first on the uh, it's here again, finally here, whatever. For me, it's the first time that a organization that could actually make it work is behind it. Because to have something like a streaming service, like a Netflix for video, that was relatively simple because it's just pushing. It's just streaming it towards a lot of endpoints. There's no interaction. There's no, yes, you want to do a a fast forward, a a rewind, things like that. And if my uh, video on demand service is any proof, that doesn't really work very interactively. It's still very annoying to work with that. But the moment you go with gaming, you need to have something that has very short latencies, is close to home, and you need to have a worldwide distributed computing and networking environment set up. And basically, the big clouds are the only ones that have this today. So that for me means that game streaming is finally here. It's going to happen stages out, and they'll keep on doing it uh, while Google might cancel it in a month or so. They've done stuff like that before. Uh, but uh, the whole thing about the integration, even with the consoles and stuff, I think, yeah, it's here to stay now. Whether or not it's going to be popular or not, that's another question altogether. So coming to the actual uh, dirty reason why I put this in here, the whole idea of having streaming games is having gaming as a service. You mm. no longer buy a game. The game no longer belongs yep. to you. No, you buy the right to play the game as long as you pay a subscription. And I think this is actually very close to the whole open source licensing troubles we're having today. They have the exact same problem there. You used to have a licensing to be able to use a thing, and now you can just have a service that runs it for you. So um, I have no idea if this, if this is going to happen or not. But I see parallels there and maybe the open source community can take a look at how the gaming industry is doing this and please do something else. Because if you look at the electronic arts or the the big game guys out there, they're not exactly the darlings of the gaming community today because they are also doing things uh, a bit... How do you say this nicely? Less than less than elegant. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a lot of, uh, how do you call it, parallels between the two. And moving from product to service things. And that's basically why I'm also taking a look at this. Because yes, I do game from time to time. I wouldn't consider myself a big gamer at all. But I do 
keep an eye on this industry as well because I see a lot of parallels going on there as well because you have a lot a lot of small gaming companies a lot of three four people themes that make a new game this whole indie movement has just as a parallel again to the open source community has changed a lot as well in the gaming environments where these people are also trying to find a way to get monetization because if they put their stuff on steam or the epic store they lose like 40 percent of revenue yeah. Uh, how is this going to happen when it goes on to Stadia? Because I now have a <laughs> uh, one of the bonuses yeah. from Microsoft when I was there was a uh, Xbox Unlimited uh, pass for a year, which is going to be expiring soon, I guess, which gives me a access to, I don't know, I, I think hundreds of games. Again, I'm not a big gamer. I really don't look at it that much in detail, but there are a lot of games on there. If I look at the Epic Store, who's giving away every, a game every day at the moment, how are the small indie developers of those games still getting money enough to keep themselves running, to keep themselves afloat? Again, I see a lot of parallels with the open source licensing troubles. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the service that I was thinking of was actually GeForce Now, which was back in 2015, which... Oh, that's NVIDIA which, thing, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was paired with the the Shield device, but yeah, you know the the kind of the interesting thing in this space is that the first the first sort of actually officially launched service was on Live back in two thousand and ten, but then Sony Sony acquired all, acquired them and the patents and on Live shut down. Then, as you mentioned, uh, Gaikai came out, and again um, Sony acquired them back in two thousand and twelve. Yep. So there's there's a Sony have got a real history of acquiring things that look interesting in this space and you know it seems like this is the first and there have actually been probably at least eight or nine different um cloud gaming services over the years but I think Sony seem to have uh, a lot of fingers in a lot of pies to be able to you know they've been looking at this for a long, long time to try and make something that's really, um, really sustainable. So it's yeah, it's 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 an interesting space because I think it it I completely agree. It mirrors the consumption of software and services. It mirrors the the sort of the licensing challenges that uh, that maybe are starting to, to come in the open source, although slightly less so because, of course, these are all proprietary um, products. And so the the licensing is something that has to be worked out. But it's, it's probably closer to the way that um, licensing and therefore revenue sharing, quote-unquote, has to work on services like Spotify or like Netflix and things like that. But uh, Yeah, and how badly is that going? With government institutions <sighs> being put up to to make sure that the artists get some kind of money, yeah. they still are, 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 are entitled to. Yeah, indeed. Now, talking about the Sony thing, you do know what the last thing is that Sony did. They actually went in a joint venture with Microsoft Azure to do gaming on the cloud. <laughs> indeed, yep. <laughs> yep. Back in October so, 2018. Yeah. I just linked uh, an article in the show notes uh, on The Verge from December 5th, so it's pretty recent, and it's titled How Sony Bought and Squandered the Future of Gaming. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read it yet, just found it now by Googling, but I think I'm going to read it after the show. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, Sony, for some reason, they were way ahead with the PlayStation, but uh, they kind of, yeah, I don't know, too long at the, at, the, at the top of power, a bit like Intel now uh, having to 
uh, bow down to AMD. I don't know. Oh, that's 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 a topic for a, a brand new podcast. <laughs> we can a brand get new podcast, on. even. <laughs> <laughs> episode. Episode, I meant to say. <laughs> Dear God, I'm not going to run another podcast. Um, yes, indeed. But yeah, the king is dead along with the king and all that. Speaking of things being dead, um, one thing that is definitely not dead is the amount of um, cybersecurity um, breaches, ransomware, um, data breaches, uh, just the the sheer volume of insanity last year continued at, at a pace that I suppose it, in in the in one way it's not terribly surprising you know the attacks getting more sophisticated more prevalent more widespread I don't know and I think we will we will do a, a follow on you know again a, a topic for a dedicated episode on cybersecurity review for 2019 but it doesn't really feel like there was a lot of good news last year um, it seemed to be a continual torrent of of breaches and announcements that you know various terrible things had happened for everybody concerned. Yeah, I think in earlier shows we already talked about how we didn't see an end to it, but it did still surprise me on how much of a uh, flight it actually took. How how much more it happened. I mean, it wasn't a status quo at all. It wasn't even a mild increase. It's it, it, we haven't reached the peak of this uh, problem yet. Um, it also starts touching us much closer to home because before it was the, uh, let's call it usual targets. I mean, Facebook had a leak. Yeah, you put all your stuff there. They have a leak. All the stuff gets out there. Those are really aggregators of data. And when they get breached, is immediately a very big deal. Uh, but now you're looking, especially with ransomware, we just had over the, 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 the Christmas holidays, the university here in the Netherlands that got hit by ransomware on the 24th of December. And apparently that's specifically something the ransomware guys do. They put triggers in there to make sure it goes off at these kind of times when there's little people available to fight the problem. And you need to have it up and running very soon again. So this is really getting more than just script kiddies being disgruntled and trying to do something bad. This is actually organized. It's a business. It's, it's oh, yeah. a business. Very much so. I mean, the, you, only, one one. you only need to look. Yeah, I mean, you only need to look back. Um, probably in the last, I don't know, three maybe four years at the very most probably less than that probably about the last three years it's become seriously big business you know with um with phishing attempts being both you know powered by cheap call centers but also you know automated um you know chat uh, prefaced with automated chat devices trying to um get you to provide all sorts of um potentially compromising information it just it, it's been big in business for a while but i think the the sheer volume of big business that that it's uh, that it's been been driving this is has been something that continues to grow at a at a rapid pace and shows no sign of abating yeah. and there's still a, a lot of companies still don't 
I don't know, unconscientious enough to actually do something about it. Because even this morning, I think I read on a local news site that uh, Google has disconnected all Xiaomi devices from their Google Home, Nest, whatever integration services because of Xiaomi webcams. People were seeing other people's feeds on their streaming devices. Wow. Yeah, and that's not even a, 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 an attack. That's just technology not working well. Because I don't know how could this happen? How can you not make sure that this stuff is secure in the first place? Yes, 20, ten years ago when IoT was new, sure, teething troubles. It's yeah. always happening. We're not there anymore. This needs to be more secure. Are we really going to wait for legislators to step in and force people to do the right thing? I mean, that doesn't work out well anyway. We know that that's not how you want to do it but there's really no I mean, it's, yeah. it's not getting better at all and i, I mean you were in the security the number of bit. the number of devices that still ship with default passwords that are accessible and or that ship with limited very simple security supposedly for ease of use to get this thing up and running whatever this thing might be is unfortunately yeah, it's yeah. it's a problem that's only getting worse and worse, I think, because it's it's an area that more and more organizations are getting into. Like more and more yeah. companies are now shipping smart devices or of some description, whether it's a you know, a smart doorbell or a, you know, Wi-Fi camera. The prices are coming down and down and down for these things. I mean, I, I, I've got, um, a, you know, a pair of smart cameras, thankfully, at least as far as I'm aware, only visible from within my private <laughs> network. But but they, they, you know, they literally were less than £15 each, are motorised, are able to zoom. Uh, I mean, it's it's ridiculous how cheap these things have got. Um, and with with the sort of driving down of costs, unfortunately, also comes the sort of um, the masses of organisations churning these things out for cheap. And when that happens, unfortunately, most people don't think security first. Most people just think functionality first and security and fourth or even if they think about it at all. And yeah, cheap. It needs to be cheap. I mean, if yeah. you look at the doorbells, you have a range from uh, $30 to $300 to $3,000. And nobody buys the $3,000 ones. A couple will buy the $300 ones. Everybody buys the $31 ones because it's yeah. supposed to be convenience. It's not that bad. It's a doorbell. What can go wrong? Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots, and, uh, it turns out. And another thing that's going to happen uh, very, very soon that's going to make this even worse is 5G. Because at the moment, thankfully, a lot of that stuff is on your Wi-Fi network. So you need to have a Wi-Fi network which is somewhat still, I don't know, at least uh, securable. With 5G coming up, uh, broadband's going to get uh, more distributed, less centralized, because you just put a SIM card in there it's it's fast enough to have streaming media go over 5G without any issue at all. Uh, bundles, I call that, the data bundles will go down in money as well because, well, if you have 5G and have a 10 gigabyte uh, monthly <laughs> budget, that's not going to work very well. That's going to make it even more prolifer- proliferated. Is that a word? Mm. Uh, it's just going to make it worse. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
you know, add into the mix uh, IPv6. Maybe I mean, we 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 haven't mentioned IPv6 as as uh, yeah. something that that changed in in 2019 and. I don't know whether it will be the the thing that finally happens in 2020, but we, it's a bit like the year of the Linux desktop. It continues to be like the year next year is the year of IPv6 and the Linux desktop. Maybe they'll both happen simultaneously. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, I think IPv6 has a bit of the boy cried wolf uh, syndrome now. We've been talking about uh, IPv4 is going to be ending next month. No, next month. No, no, next, next month. No, 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 next, 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 next month. And it just keeps on going. And I don't know, a sudden uh, SIDN a couple of weeks ago, a month ago again, said yes. we, we handed out the final ones. Yeah. I haven't, that would mean it stops, right? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> because they've handed out so many big, piles of IP addresses before uh, there's still a lot I mean apparently still enough going on and yeah. I have not seen any reason at all to go to IPv6 with uh, with the podcast infrastructure or my home infrastructure or whatever and even if I wanted to the providers here um, if you really beg a lot you can get an IPv6 behind an IPv4 uh, router then or something, or what you call that, uh, translator gateway. Yeah. So it doesn't really work anyway. So, yeah, I don't know, IPv6. <sighs> well, there we are. The uh, the end of part one of our uh, 2019 retrospective. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the discussion, our audience. And uh, Jan, how was it for you? Hey, it was great. I have no idea where I'm going to make the cut in this episode, so I have no idea what's coming next <laughs> next episode and what happened this episode. But through the magic of editing, it should all work out fine, and I hope everybody is as pleased as we are. I want to want to thank our guest, Mr. Dave, for being uh, such a useful person uh, in this episode. Ah, you're very welcome. <laughs> and with that, felt like we had a guest. <laughs> <laughs> and with that. That is all the time we have today. Uh, more to come next episode. So I uh, hope you enjoy the remainder of our 2019 retrospective. Uh, you can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Every contribution helps. Uh, we're on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all the YouTube stuff. You can also go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the Hadoopcast tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. 